this evening. Ruth chapter 3, we move forward now to this third chapter. We'll begin our reading in verse 1 and read through verse 6 together. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself, therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and make not thyself known unto the man, until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be, when he lieth down, that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet, and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. And she went down unto the floor, and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. Last week we examined, I do want to briefly again review this and, and move right into the text this evening, but last week we examined the final two verses of chapter 2 in which Naomi makes a statement that defines the entire interaction that took place between Ruth and Boaz. In verse 22, Naomi responded to Ruth by stating this, and Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good. We saw where Naomi referenced several things that were good. When she makes this statement, she is speaking of something specific. There's no, no question about that. But we find within the entirety of the context, the things that are mentioned in this text to which the response is, it is good. This is Naomi's response. We saw first that Naomi noticed and recognized and really is proclaiming it was good that Ruth had found favor. Back in verse 19, we read, her mother-in-law said unto her, where hast thou gleaned today? And where wroughtest thou? And then she makes a statement, Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. Within Naomi's statement, Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee, Naomi was actually declaring that it was good that Ruth had found a place where someone showed her grace and kindness. Second, we notice that Naomi states it was good that there was a near kinsman. Verse 20, she goes on to say, Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. The fact that Boaz was a kinsman of Naomi, as I mentioned last week, meant that he was qualified to redeem all that pertained to Elimelech. And when Naomi said, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and the dead, and then stated, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen, Naomi was saying that it was good that there was a kinsman who had shown grace to Ruth. Then third, we saw that it was good for Ruth to remain in the place where she had found this grace. Verses 21 and 22. And Ruth the Moabitess said, He said also unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. So Naomi recognized that it was good that Ruth had been instructed to remain in the place where she had been shown such love and grace by Boaz. And by remaining in Boaz's field with his workers and by his young men, Ruth would find purpose, she would find provision, and she would find protection under Boaz's care. In verse 23, it goes on to say, So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Ruth had found a good place to be where she had been comforted, where she had been shown kindness, where she had been given provision, and most importantly, where she had received and experienced grace. This chapter continues. Now in chapter 3, we find it continues in the progressive revelation 
of the relationship between Boaz and Ruth. The events within this chapter show us a rapid development of this relationship. And within our text, we see that Ruth responded as instructed by Naomi in a a very humble and personal and intentional manner to the grace which Boaz had shown her. So this was her response to this grace. And this chapter begins with Naomi's expression of concern for Ruth. Notice verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, unto Ruth, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? Now before we begin to delve into this chapter, I I believe it's important and it's beneficial for us to consider Naomi's previous statements regarding her, Naomi's, inability to provide any provision, any future, any hope for Ruth. So when you go back to verse, when we look at verse 1 again, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, here in chapter 3, verse 1, we find that even in what she's about to state, that Naomi's entire attitude has changed concerning her part in helping Ruth, as indicated by her statement in chapter 3, verse 1, when contrasted by her statement in chapter 1. So let's go back to chapter 1 for a moment, because I want you to see this transition of thought and and this attitude that has now changed in Naomi. In chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, we read, Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Now we understand in chapter 1, Naomi is now returning back to Bethlehem, Judah, and the Lord has given word to her that, that there's bread now, that God has provided for them. And so she's returning, and we've already studied this, I don't want to belabor the point, but I do want to mention and show you that at this point where Naomi returns and says, call me not Naomi, call me not joyful, call me not blessed, call me Mara, call me bitter, for the Lord hath dealt very bitterly with me. And that's how she felt, of course. This was her feelings concerning what has taken place. Now, we know, in reality, God is being very gracious to Naomi, though she isn't viewing it really truthfully from that perspective at this moment. But yet, the fact of the matter remains that God was bringing her back home, and that was, more importantly than that, and even as Naomi would see how all this affected her life, let us be mindful of this for a moment. Again, step back, consider the reason we even have this historical narrative and, and, and this record within the Bible as we have it today. Remember something. God was doing something much greater than that which only focused on or had to do with Naomi and her present circumstances in her life. For it was by them going to Moab that Ruth would marry her son. And that then they would end up going back to Bethlehem, Judah, where Ruth would then providentially be led to Boaz, where Boaz would then take interest in Ruth, where Boaz would marry Ruth, where God would provide now for Naomi in a way that Moab could have never provided for her, and that God was going to provide a child through Boaz and Ruth, who would then have a child, who then eventually David, see David was born, but then also, more importantly, 
through that lineage, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is manifested in the flesh. So while Naomi, Naomi is saying, now consider this, and from her perspective, I get it, and you should get it too. Oh, the Lord is really being harsh with me. No, the Lord is actually being very gracious. Do you understand? There are very few people literally named. I mean, there's a lineage given, but compared to the number of present, even in the lineage of Christ, Naomi with Ruth happens to be mentioned in that lineage because God was providentially working in their lives to bring about his purpose. So while we are looking at our own lives and going, wow, this is rough, this is tough, and it very well may be, remember something. God is providentially working. It's not about you, and it's not about me. And God is providentially working in a way to fulfill his purpose in and through our lives to his own glory. And we should just be thankful that we're in the lineage. (laughs) We should just be thankful that we are included in the people of God. No matter what the outcome may appear to be or how it may seem to be. And so we find there's a, a a real change of spirit here. Naomi admits in chapter 1, with this grief and sadness, that she had nothing to provide for Ruth and Orpah. Naomi recognized her insufficiency to do anything regarding a future for Ruth and Orpah. Yet, text in this first verse of chapter 3, Naomi realizes that although she cannot provide any hope or any future for Ruth, in reality in chapter 1, let me pause, in reality in chapter 1, Naomi is literally saying, I have nothing to offer you, Ruth. And really, she didn't. She didn't have anything to offer Ruth. And so her whole spirit and attitude is, as ungodly as this was at the moment, go back to your false gods. Go back to, your, to the wicked people of your land. Go back and live your life to its fullest. I cannot help you, and I have nothing to give you. Now, there's truth in that, that Naomi really had nothing to offer Ruth. But here's what's happened now. She begins to understand that she can have an influence in Ruth's life as she, Naomi, points Ruth and encourages Ruth to look to the one who's able to help her and who is able to secure her future. As we find Naomi speaking to Ruth in verse 1 when she says, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? What a change in attitude and spirit of Naomi here. Do you not see that? I can't help you go back to your false gods, go back to your people, go back to your wicked ways and your wicked land, and just do as you will, right? I love you, but I can't help you, so just go back to your people and to your culture and what you're used to. And now she's saying, oh, wait a minute, no, no, no. Should I not be seeking rest for you? Should I not be seeking a future for you? Should I not be doing everything possible to help you to, to, to have a secure future here? Now, when we, when we come to verse 1 in, in chapter 3, and she's Daughter shall not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee. The noun rest means a resting place. So Naomi desired at this point to provide for Ruth in the only way she knew how to do so, which was to point Ruth to the only one who could do for Ruth all that Naomi could not do. She's saying, I can't do this for you, but I know who can. And now she sees it as her purpose. She sees it as her mission. She sees it as her life existence for the, pur- or existence for the purpose at this point to point Ruth to Boaz. Naomi could not provide rest for Ruth. 
But Naomi knew where Ruth could go or who she could go to to find a resting place. Verse 2 goes on to tell us. She says, Naomi says to Ruth, And now is not Boaz of our kindred with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he went with barley tonight in the threshing floor. We who already have a relationship with our kinsman redeemer have the privilege, as did Naomi in this case, of pointing others to Christ, of pointing others to Jesus as Naomi was pointing Ruth to Boaz. And by the way, let's be mindful of this truth. Resting place is not talking about a place just to lay down and sleep or be lazy. That's not what's being referenced here. It's talking about ceasing from your labors, ceasing from your struggles, ceasing from your difficulties in in this context, that you might have a place to where you belong and where you have a future. Now, Boaz, Ruth, Naomi, this is all looking at it from a very physical perspective, obviously, literally speaking. But again, there's parallels here for us, and we recognize that. And we know that it is Christ where we can find rest. As it has well been stated, as believers, we are simply beggars telling other beggars where we have found bread. Or might I say it to you like this? We are simply people who have found rest and now have the opportunity to tell others where they also can find rest. We can't provide that rest for them. But we can point them to the one who provides the rest. Naomi came to understand that this was her part regarding her care for Ruth. The same Naomi who previously confessed that she could do nothing for Ruth now realized the greatest thing she could have ever done for Ruth was to tell her more about Boaz and to point her to him. Let us never forget this truth. While people are busy about doing everything they can, every way they can, and every means possibly they can imagine and think of and, 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 and invent and create, if you will, to try to help people there. Listen, there is the greatest soul single thing that you can ever do to help anyone is to point them to Christ. To point them to the place where you have found rest. To point them to the one who can provide for them what no one else, including yourself and and their selves, no, no one else nor themselves are able to do on their own. That God is provided for us in Christ and to point there and say, look, there is rest in Jesus. Naomi came to understand that this was her her part. The greatest help we can ever provide to anyone is to tell them about the one who is all-sufficient and able to provide for them the rest that they so desperately need. We can confidently tell others where they also can find this rest as we remember the promise of our Lord. We can do this with confidence, meaning... We don't know whether that person will really come into rest with the Lord or not. We can't determine that. We don't know that. But we can be confident in telling them where there is rest. And we can do so based upon the promise of our Lord. There were two different words here that are translated rest in this passage we are about to read. Matthew eleven twenty-seven through 30. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, Jesus says, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. And he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's saying, I will revive you. That's what it literally means here. I will revive you. Take my yoke upon you 
and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest. This doesn't mean revive, this means relief. And you will find relief unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice Jesus doesn't say, with me there's no yoke or no burden. He says, no, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, this rest is not laziness. But this rest is security and this rest is comfort and this rest is reassuring. And this rest is us not striving to do something we could never do to begin with, but resting in he who has done it all. Jesus promised rest to all those of which he would reveal the Father. There is rest in God's provision for us in Christ. Then number three, the verse, verse number three. Uh, Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. Now, we know that she's already said in verse two that tonight, behold, he went with barley tonight in the threshing floor. And this would have been the process in which winnowing, just to, to describe it to you, they've harvested. Now they take, if you will, as we would consider it a pitchfork or even their hands, and they're throwing up the, the, the harvest. And as you know, while the wind is blowing, there's an optimal time for this to be done. In the evening hours, they throw it up, and the chaff is blown away. That, that which is useless, that which is worthless, that which has no substance to it, that which is just a waste, if you will, it now is blown away while the grain and the harvest, that which is good, falls to the ground. And so this is the winnowing process. Now, as they are doing that, several things to consider. First of all, time is of the essence, meaning there is, there's, there's times where this is obviously uh, more... Um, uh, productive than others with the wind, with the blowing of the breeze and such. And also it's a process in which now the gains are being realized from the harvest because all the waste, or for the most part, the waste is being disposed of. And so now at, at, on the threshing floor is the actual harvest and the product that's been, been harvested that is good. The benefit, the reward is present. And so in verse 3, understanding what is taking place from verse 2, Naomi then instructs Ruth and says, Wash thyself therefore and anoint thee and put thy raiment upon thee and get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. Now, at this verse, as this verse will reveal, as I mentioned already, rest is not laziness or, or passivity. Naomi is pointing Ruth to Boaz. Now, she's saying, I want you to find a place of rest, and it's my re- I feel my responsibility to point you to where you can find this rest this future, this security, this resting place. But notice then immediately Naomi's telling Ruth, wash yourself, anoint yourself, clothe yourself, go down here and do this. She say, I want you to have rest. This isn't laziness. That's not what this is. And we see her now instructing her to do something. Now we're going to deal with this and look at this and see the parallels and what we can glean from this as far as uh, from the historical account and how we, of course, understand historically what is taking place, but also how that we benefit from this as we consider what is even being stated in this instruction through the narrative, root, narrative of Ruth. So Naomi is pointing Ruth to Boaz, as we mentioned, the man who will be able to provide her rest and a sure future. However, Naomi also then instructs Ruth, as we've said, as to her personal responsibility. Boaz didn't, now, now notice, this is very important. Boaz did not tell Naomi to tell Ruth to go wash herself, to go anoint herself, and go clothe herself in this way. Boaz didn't tell Naomi this. Naomi is telling Boaz this, I'm sorry, Naomi is telling Ruth this, and Ruth is acknowledging this, but none of this came from Boaz. Now, this is important as we can see again the parallels here and this, these reflections, because Boaz did not require Ruth to do any of that which Naomi instructed. 
Yet, Ruth wanted to be presentable when she approached Boaz. Hear me very closely, please. It's not that Boaz said, unless you do this or that, then I'll reject you. If you send Ruth down to me, Naomi, and she's not washed herself, and she's not presentable as I would consider her to be presentable, if she doesn't do that, then then I'm going to reject her. I'm going to send her back home to you. She can't spend time with me like that. No, notice this. Boaz never says any of this. Ruth is instructing, or Naomi is instructing Ruth concerning this, not as a requirement of Boaz, but Naomi realizing, and then Ruth submitting to the instruction of Naomi, she herself realized that Boaz is worthy of this. It's not that Boaz required it, but it's Ruth understanding Boaz is worthy of this. Naomi instructed Ruth, wash thyself therefore. Now it's important that we acknowledge that Ruth was not depending, based on everything we just saw, Ruth is not depending on anything she did to cause Boaz to notice her or to show grace to her. Where did, where did Boaz show grace to Ruth? While she is dirty, sweaty, no doubt, working where? In the field. Was, was Ruth doing anything or trying to act in a way or present herself in such a way where she's waving at Boaz while he's passing? No, Ruth is just working. She doesn't even probably recognize Boaz at all or notice him. It is Boaz who put his eyes on Ruth. So this is not an attempt of Ruth now to say, well, maybe if, if, you know, if I dress up that Boaz is going to really pay me more attention. Or, no, this, has, this is not Ruth initiating some relationship with Boaz. This is a response of Ruth to that which Boaz has already initiated. Ruth is now saying, oh, Yes, I need to do this. Boaz is worthy of this. Boaz is worthy for me to come in a manner that I am as presentable as I could possibly be. Not because he'll show me more grace. Not because I'll gain more favor. Not because I'm trying to catch his eye. That's already been done. Boaz has already done this for her and to her. So here she's not trying to gain the attention of Boaz, as some might would may suppose. For Boaz has already demonstrated grace to Ruth. And this was a response of Ruth towards Boaz and the grace that he had demonstrated. Let me just state it like this to you as well so you don't have any misunderstanding. The moment that we do anything with the expectation to impress God is the moment we are rejecting His grace in an effort to earn His favor. We do not serve the Lord to impress Him. We do not love the Lord to impress Him. We do not do anything to impress Him. You know why? He's unimpressed with anything we do. But as I've told you so many times from Isaiah's prophecy, are we not told that He shall see the travail of His soul, Jesus' soul, and shall be satisfied? God the Father is satisfied in His Son. And so what we're doing is not in an attempt to impress God any more so than what Ruth was doing was in an attempt to impress Boaz. And we'll see that further as we read through. Ruth recognized that she was not worthy of the grace of Boaz. Has she not already stated that clearly in the previous chapter? Didn't she say, who am I? I'm a stranger. Why would you show me grace? Why would you, why would you comfort me? So Ruth is aware she does not deserve this. And she's not attempting now to situate herself or position herself so that she becomes worthy of that she has received. She knows she's not worthy. 
That's already been clearly established. She knows that it's not anything that she had done, anything she was doing, or anything that she would or could do that would ever merit the favor and kindness of Boaz. Yet she also recognized that Boaz was worthy of her all and her best. goes on to say, wash thyself therefore, and the next statement Naomi makes is, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee. Now Ruth did not put on some facade. Let us not be confused here. Ruth isn't going to the vanity and putting on her makeup. Ruth isn't going in face. She's not going and trying to rid herself of all the blemishes that are present. She's not going and, and attempting to beautify herself. That's not here. Notice this is not a facade. She did not attempt to make herself appear differently than she did. She simply was presenting herself as she was, truly as she was, and yet in the best condition she possibly could. And the reason is not because she was trying to earn favor of Boaz. That's already been given. It's in response to this grace and this comfort from Boaz. Might I remind you of this truth? The Lord is not interested in appearances. We'd be so much better off if we just concede to this truth. We do a lot, many times, many people do a lot to impress others. And many people do a lot and attempt to impress God. How foolish it is to do so. As the Lord declared to Samuel when he was sent to anoint the cho- Lord's chosen king for Israel, David, in 1 Samuel sixteen seven, For the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for the Lord for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. How much do you think God's interested in how you look? He's not. People will do their best to put on facades, they'll do their best to put on religion, they'll do their best to put on democracy, and they do it with an attempt to either impress others and or even impress God. Let's be mindful. God's not interested in the appearance. Do you think that Ruth would have been rejected if she'd have showed up at the feet of Boaz as she will, straight from the field and just to Boaz? No. You know why? Boaz wasn't interested in how she came to him in the sense of, I'm talking about as someone who's not yet been redeemed. Remember that. It's not fix yourself up and then come, but she realizes because she's already received grace and love has been demonstrated for her, she is acknowledging Boaz is worthy of this. The Lord does not desire for us to present ourselves in some superficial or religious manner, but he desires that we come to him in submission. <clears throat> Matthew 15, 7 and 8 says, Ye hypocrites, Jesus said, Well did Isaiah or Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, this people draweth nigh to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You know what he's saying? You're hypocrites. Why? Because you're putting on this facade. Remember what he said to the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees? You are as dead men's bones and whited sepulchers. He's saying, oh yeah, the, the headstone looks beautiful, but inside there's nothing but filth and rot. Naomi goes on to say, and get thee down to the floor. Boaz was the one who initiated this relationship, not Ruth. However, it was Boaz's grace towards Ruth that had such an effect on Ruth that now she desired to be where he was. 
Naomi says, go down to where he is. And Ruth says, I'll go. Why? Not because Naomi told her to. Because she knows the grace of Boaz. She's been introduced to this favor and kindness. She's not married to him yet. There's no commitment here in terms of between them in the sense of formally committed. Boaz is committed, we know, and that proves itself to be. And Ruth becomes that because of Boaz's commitment. But yet we see that at this point, it's just that drawing of, from the grace and love of Boaz that has such an effect on Ruth that now she desires to be where he is. Let me say, if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is gracious, as we sung just a moment ago, then there will be a desire to know him. There will be a desire to know more of him. And that's what Naomi's instructing Ruth concerning. The last statement she makes is, but make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. Culturally, it would have been pretentious for Ruth to have interrupted Boaz's work or the celebration of the work and reward of the work that had been accomplished. And pretentious meaning that it would have been as though Ruth counted herself more important than she really was, or Ruth thought she was more than what she really was and so she could come in to the midst of Boaz interacting with his men and celebrating and, and their labor and work and feasting and, and having a celebration of all that had been accomplished. It would have been pretentious for her to come in and interrupt that, saying, Oh, here I am, Boaz, look, hey. That's not what she's doing. She's herself to him and to his work and to his ways and to his 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 desires. And so we see here that this would have been wrong in every aspect of the word ruth was not drawing attention to herself again she didn't go doll herself up she presented herself she wanted to make herself presentable realizing that boaz was worthy of this the least i could do is come in a manner in which i understand that this man has been gracious to me and has shown love towards me and has comforted me and so the desire is to reciprocate as we've already done reciprocate that love she has been shown that love. Ruth was so aware. She did not deserve Boaz's attention. She was humbled to be at his feet, yet she knew that it was her privilege to be, to be allowed to be with him. However, at the same time, Ruth was not fearful to approach Boaz in the proper manner, but was confident that he would continue to provide the grace that she had come to know in her relationship with him. Once again, we are reminded of the grace of our Lord and how we can approach him in confidence because of his faithfulness and his grace towards us. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. I believe we read this last week. Let me read it again. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly. The word boldly here, do you know what it literally means? Confidently. Let us come boldly, let us come with confidence under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. As we continue this study, we'll discover that this rest of which Naomi speaks of, this resting place of which Naomi speaks of, is at the feet of Boaz. And this is where Ruth finds this rest. Verse 4. And it shall be when he, we're not, we're going to come back to this, but we'll read it. And it shall be when he lieth down, thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. 
Interesting, isn't it? Naomi says, this is, I'm going to point you to Boaz. Naomi doesn't try to tell Ruth what Boaz is going to tell her. She just says, let me help get you and point you to Boaz. You go submit yourself. You humble yourself at his feet. He'll tell you what to do. Isn't it a great privilege we have? Naomi, look at the spirit and attitude of Naomi. Can't, might we be aware of something too? Let's step back for a moment, going back to where we began tonight, and consider this thought. Could it not be, as we've looked in Colossians recently and seen the identity of sufferings of Christ and how there's suffering for the righteousness sake to which is appointed to us as individual believers personally? And could it not be that God would providentially work in such a way as even in the life of Naomi, Elimelech, and all of them, and in, in even Elimelech leaving, that was not him being led of God, but God allowed it to be. And even in his sin, God is still over, overseeing and working providentially, even out of that sin, to fulfill his purpose. And could it not be that the very difficulties and the very heartaches and the very sufferings, whatever they may be, the trials, the tribulations that we may experience and suffer, whether small or great, whatever it may be, could it not be that God has allowed and providentially worked this all in this manner that we, rather than being bitter as Naomi was and saying, man, this is rough and the Lord's been really tough here and dealing with me, that we might recognize this is the very moment and opportunity which God has provided us to point others to the same rest that we have found at Boaz's feet. May we be faithful. May we not have bitterness. May we not look at life and its difficulties. And we all have them. We all have them. Different levels, different circumstances, different situations. But man's life is a few days and full of trouble. (laughs) And that's true, isn't it? But may we recognize that it may just be this very situation that God has purposed for us to be in this case as Naomi saying, wait a minute. And, you know, I, I, before I was bitter and I was saying, oh, I can't do anything. Yeah, I really can't do anything. But the one thing, the greatest thing I possibly could have ever done is say, get to Boaz. And let me tell you, I won't tell you what Boaz is going to tell you. I won't tell you. I, I'm, I, I'm not Boaz, but I can tell you where I have found rest and you will find rest and he will instruct you what to do. And may we also be as Ruth. May we be that we recognize, not that we are trying to put on some facade before God, but that we do recognize that He is worthy of our entire existence. He is worthy of our lives, and He's worthy that we lay ourselves down at His feet to do His bidding. May it be so. May it be so. Let's pray. Father.